0: This is Rumble. I'm Michael Moore. Welcome to this episode. For those of you who've been out uh, in the streets protesting, uh, standing up uh, for black lives, standing up against uh, (laughs) kind of the whole rotten system that has um, brought us to this point. um, Thank you for taking the time to do that over uh, the past uh, week or two, over this weekend. uh, Some of the largest crowds ever. Uh, for a, a protest like this um, and, and especially to young people who are out there, I, you know, I have to say, I, um, I'm really impressed with the fact that you've been willing to risk your lives. And I don't mean ju- in terms of uh, being around uh, angry and abusive uh, police officers. I'm talking about you have made a decision to go out and be around thousands of people during a pandemic. And, and well, I, 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 I will sound like your parent here for just a second or two, to please wear the face masks and the gloves and and uh, bring the hand sanitizer with you and all that. But but the fact that you've done that um, with with uh, you know knowing that you are at risk like that, I just I can't I just can't thank you enough for doing that. So please stay safe and uh, don't get sick, and um, but let's keep this up. Our episode today um, uh, features two women, and uh, the they are part of a of a um, off Broadway play that I saw maybe a year or so ago, um, called Gloria: A Life. And the Gloria uh, in the title refers to Gloria Steinem, and um, the writer of this play, Emily Mann, um, is one of my guests today, and the. the it's, it's essentially, um, it, it's, it's a one-woman show uh, uh, about Gloria Steinem and her life and, and the, the importance of her life to all the rest of us. Um, to any of you who are my age or, or you know, I think anywhere, anybody who's over 50 um, uh, may remember what it was like for your mothers and grandmothers. Um, and uh, uh, they were not able often to live the lives that they may have wanted to live until people like Gloria came around and, and pushed and, uh, uh, and led and uh, fought for these rights that were monumental uh, changes. Um, and, and it's a fight that continues to this day. And that's what made the the play uh, so powerful. And we're going to talk about that. And our, our other guest is the, Uh, the actor who played uh, Gloria Steinem uh, in in Gloria Life. And uh, she is with us also. Um, She is an Oscar winner. She is an Emmy winner. Um, uh, She has been in uh, a number of incredible movies that I'd I'd like to talk to her about uh, today. Um, I've also known her for for many years. Uh, She was born in Birmingham, Michigan, which is a suburb of Detroit. Uh, So not sort of, down the road from where I grew up, from in Flint. Uh, but uh, um, I'm very happy, and I want everybody to to welcome um, uh, the playwright uh, Emily Mann and uh, uh, the incredible uh, actor uh, Christine Lottie. Welcome both of you.
1: Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. So happy to be here with you.
0: I really, I wanted you to uh, to do this. Uh, well, first of all, Christine, I wanted I wanted to do this. I I think I was talking to you about this podcast before we started to do it because I wanted to have you on at some point, but then, then uh, great performances on PBS uh, decided to put it in their, in their spring, summer schedule. They actually, I did not know this. They filmed Gloria, a life uh, while it was uh, in production off Broadway. Right. Yeah. And, and so, and now it's going to appear on TV across the country on PBS on June 26th. The, and this, the fact that the that the American people uh, and some Canadians get to watch this, you know, this is always, you know, when when I'm in New York and I get to, I get to go to a play or whatever and I see something that's so incredible and I just think, oh man, nobody in Michigan is going to get to see this, and and so the fact that when you wrote me and said that this is this is actually going to be on primetime na- nationwide uh, television, I thought, oh, what better time right than right now. Um, and so first of all, for whatever either of you had to do with making this happen, uh, thank you, uh, for that. It's going to be on June 26 on PBS. And, um, and I'll remind people too, as we get a little closer to the date uh, to be sure and, and watch this. So Christine, I've never really had a chance to talk to you. So we've known each other for quite uh, some time and, um, uh, um, I put on a film festival every year in Michigan called the Traverse City Film Festival, and you've been on the board of directors of that for mm-hmm. many years. And so thank you for that. But, um, but you, um, you, um, uh, your work goes back to, uh, at least maybe, uh, the early eighties, if not the, uh, late, uh, seventies. Uh, um, and, uh, you, um, uh, most notably, if I can mention a couple of these films: "Running on Empty," uh, "Swing Shift," um, uh, one of my favorite indie films, uh, "Desert Bloom," um, and th- this list goes on and on. But um, but you you not only got to work with two great directors on the, those first two films I mentioned, Sidney Lumet and uh, Jonathan Demme. Um, both of these films, "Swing Shift," and uh, which is essentially about. Rosie the Riveter's—that is uh, the story, working in the factory um, during the uh, during World War II, mm-hmm. and uh, running on empty with Judd Hirsch, where um, you and he are married and on the run, essentially uh, because of, I believe, uh, past uh, uh, political crimes he may have committed during the war, during the Vietnam War. Am I right mm-hmm. on that? Is, yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. They. And, uh, we were both part of a radical group that. Um, uh, put a set a bomb off in some lab and accidentally killed uh, one of the custodians. So yeah, we've been on the, on the lam.
0: Okay. So it's sort of based on what happened with the math building in Madison, Wisconsin. In, in, exactly. In, in uh, university of Wisconsin. So, and you're, and you've taken your two kids to Central America to essentially um, hide out. And the kids are played uh, uh, by Martha Plimpton and River Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And um, so this is an incredible uh, film. And, uh, that's the one that was directed by uh, Sidney Lumet. Um, and, uh, for which I, I believe you, um, you were nominated for an Oscar for that. Is that correct? Um, uh, what did, or was what it? Or was it uh, swing uh, shift?
1: Golden, Golden Globe. Oh, I, I was nominated for an Oscar for swing shift. Yeah. Yeah. And the Glo- one, okay. Golden Globe for the other one. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. And, um, the, uh, so, and you, and you got to work with river Phoenix, um, yeah. But but both of these films were also written by women. Uh, mm-hmm. Nancy Dowd uh, wrote uh, Swing Shift, mm-hmm. and Naomi Foner wrote um, uh, Running on Empty. Yes. So, this is now, and both of these films that come out in the 1980s, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, I mean, there's always been women who have been um, screenwriters um, throughout the history of cinema, but. It, it, as you, as the, the, actually it was more of that back in the twenties and thirties and forties mm-hmm. by the eighties uh you didn't see a lot of credits where women's names came up as the writer or the director. And, and yet you had these two incredible experiences with these two great films uh written, written by women at the time. Did you think, did you think that, wow, this is kind of cool or this is uh You know, we're making some progress here. Was it just an accident? Uh, I'm just, I'm just curious because um, for someone to in in the various nominations that you got, whether it was Golden Globes or Oscars for both films, I think you won the Film Critics Award uh, from I think New York Film Critics and one for one film, LA Film Critics for the other film. Yeah. So 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 and these were really beloved films. So what was that? I mean. I'm just curious, because here you are, it's the at this point the early to, uh, I think what starting maybe in '84 would have been swing shift, is that right? And then I'm thinking '88 uh, 80, or '89 maybe for uh, running on empty.
1: That sounds right. Yeah, something like that.
0: Yeah. Um, so where were you at in the early '80s with with yourself as a woman in this business, and and uh, and you're working on two films. Two big films, and I'll bet you in each of those years, there weren't five of the, say, top 100 grossing films that year that were written by women.
1: Yeah. So I, I want to add a third film that was written, uh, the novel was written by Marilyn Robinson, a film called Housekeeping.
0: Oh, yeah, that, right, right. It was
1: a, adapted by Bill Forsyth and directed by Bill Forsyth. But all three of these films, Running on Empty, um, Swing Shift, and Housekeeping, what they... Sh- gave to me were extraordinarily complex characters to bring to life. And that was the challenge, right? So in so many films written by men, women characters were not in the center of the story. They were, you know, eye candy or arm dressing or whatever you want to call it. And it was so frustrating to me because these men in these movies would go out and have these incredible adventures. And the women characters would be sitting at home, usually in a negligee or less, waiting for their brave men to come home and then they would have sex. And that was their role basically. So it was very, very frustrating as a young actress to see that that was predominantly the world. And I was a a, a feminist and um, angry righteously about that. And I remember even on Broadway and off-Broadway, I wanted to do plays written by women. Because, again, the parts would be more interesting and more complex. And there weren't many female playwrights, Emily, as you can uh, attest to Absolutely. back then. And so I did three of them, but they were all written by Wendy Wasserstein. <laughs> she was like the only female playwright, <laughs> right. um, except for Emily Mann. I mean, th- there were very few. So, yeah, I, w- I feel really, really lucky that I got to work with these extraordinary women.
0: And, um, and. Uh... And Jonathan Demi uh, and Sydney Lumet, both sadly, were um, no longer with us. Yeah, um, uh, to have to have that experience too, I would think, um, um, you know, was not only great but probably, hopefully, different than other experiences. Um, I don't know. I I, I only knew them um, on a, you know kind of a personal level, but not, uh, not professionally. So they were um, both
1: extraordinary men, extraordinary human beings.
0: Yeah. Yes. I would, I would, yeah, that would, that, that was my experience uh, with them. But, um, Mm -hmm. the, um, so Emily, um, so you being one of those few women, um, whose voice, uh, got to be heard, Mm -hmm. um, and in a, in a, in a very large way too, by helping to produce new talent and new, Plays and giving voice to other women, um, as the uh, director of the McCarter Theater at, uh, at Princeton, uh, which is one of these, you know, these great um, um, regional, what they call regional theaters for live theater, and um, and is is one of the more respected places where um, where people who care about theater and who and who want to bring theater to a wider audience uh, pay attention uh, to places like the McCarter theater or the La Jolla playhouse or um, uh, what's the one in LA. Um, uh, but it, it, the group. Uh, yes. Yes. Um, and the Steppenwolf in Chicago. Um, and so at, at the McCarter, uh, Emily, um, uh, you were able to do that. I'm just, I'm curious when you, when you began, cause I think you were there um, a, n- a number of years. Yes. I'm uh, just,
2: Finishing, I'm stepping down on just a few weeks on July 1st um, after 30 years.
0: Wow. Oh my
2: God. 30
0: years.
1: Long long tenure, one of the longest in the business. Yes. Um, Yes. Right. And Emily, you started um, when there were very, very few women running theaters in this country. And I, I would love you to share that anecdote about what you said to your um, crew and the people who had been working there a long time who were a little bit maybe apprehensive that a woman was going to be taking over. Didn't you say something about the people you, you say about your well, own so yeah, I nurse. mean, yeah. I
2: went with the mission mm-hmm. of, you know, it was at this point in time where very few women who hadn't founded their own theaters were running theaters, and there was some apprehension, and I came with a you know I'm a political writer and and uh, an activist like christine, um same vintage, and the play the theater was going to be dedicated doing uh, work by and about women and people of color and I basically looked around the room and said, I see some people looking. To see whether I'm going to make it or not, or whether they want uh, to back this or not. And my feeling is, you have to be in 110%, or you should leave now. No hard feelings. Mm. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I just,
0: love that. I, w- I wish I'd said that a few times in my life.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the beautiful part of it was mm. that a couple people did leave, and the rest who stayed, I mean, they were all in. And after 30 years, some of them, a big majority of them are still all in. Wow! Um, and and your, the, your
0: theater, you won the Tony Award.
2: We did uh, indeed. Three years the, after I arrived. Yep.
0: For being, they give an award each year to a regional theater that has done incredible work, mm-hmm. and and has helped to keep the theater alive and thriving, as you have done at Princeton uh, for for all these years. So mm-hmm. so if we can just jump way ahead up to a Gloria a Life. Um, where's the, where's the genesis of, of this idea? Because let me say this, as you said, okay, political playwright, you're both activists, et cetera. You know, for, we all know that how deadly, awful a work of art can be, whether it's a film, a TV show, play, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if the, if the writer and the artist Mm -hmm. is maybe a little too much focused on getting the politics right and not thinking about the fact that this is a work of art and that, right. and that, that we have to make a great movie or our politics are never going to get across to people. And, and so, so how we all know how many films, well-intentioned films and TV shows and plays or whatever that we've gone to. And we just thought, you leave there going, God, I wish they had just made a better play. Yeah. <laughs> and, and um, so, so it's actually, I think it's more difficult to pull this off because um, first of all, you say to hey let's go to, let's go to see this. This this play on Gloria Steinem. I already know about Gloria. So why would I want to, no, no, I, this is, this is different. This, I, yeah, the, the, the whole, uh, the whole second act, uh, they sort of blow up how a play is supposed to be done and i i've heard from people who've been there that it's like wow this is such a great idea but it um um so what's the genesis of this how did you uh, who decided to let's let's do this uh, you must have had to convince gloria steinem uh
2: oh, no no that's not how it went actually no. it was so much more interesting well i've known gloria as as christine has but i've known her simply professionally and she knows me through Um, my work, um, Having Our Say, which is about two African-American sisters, both over 100 years old, that was on Broadway. And when we were um, celebrating extraordinary American women um, on one of our evenings, uh, of course, Gloria was invited. And um, I saw her backstage um, and met her before. She said, oh, Emily, it's great to be here. And let me introduce you to my dear friend, Anita Hill. And that's how we reunited when it came around with her good friend, Kathy Najimi saying, you know, Gloria, you need to do a story of your life and we should call it Gloria live on Broadway. Um, they looked around for who the writer should be. And, and Gloria thought of me and Kathy thought of me because she knew my play execution of justice. Um, the trial play that was also on Broadway in the eighties about, um, the Assassination of Harvey Milk and George Moscone. And um, that was a phone call. I was—I just happened to be walking. I picked up my uh, my cell phone and it was Gloria and Kathy saying, we want to do a, Gloria said, I want to do a, um, a play about my life and would you write it? And it took me less than a tenth of a second to say yes. So that's how that started. And it was going to be, before Christine, it was going to be Gloria playing herself in a one-woman show.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
2: And then we actually, we we were working at at Lincoln Center because um, they'd gone to Daryl Roth. And Daryl was on the board at Lincoln Center, said, let's develop it at Lincoln Center. And that's what we did. We did a workshop. Gloria played herself and said, you know, my respect for actors has soared and my Ability to uh, have any confidence in my being able to perform myself has plummeted. I'd rather kill myself than have <laughs> to do this again. So we decided, okay, we had to rethink. And then we got um, Christine on board. And we also decided once Gloria wasn't playing herself, we didn't want to just do another one woman show. So we made it an ensemble piece with Christine playing Gloria in the center and um, a group of. Um, Multiracial, multi generational women um, were the ensemble helping her. Yes,
0: help. that 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 also was such a great idea because again, you go into it thinking it is a what's called a one woman show, uh, and and then all of a sudden there is a not a cast of thousands, but the, the stage is populated yeah. by all of these women and yeah. and 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 a, and a diverse group that represents the women uh, across the board. And, um, and, and how they, you know, how they move this along, how they challenge uh, uh, the, not just, not just uh, Gloria, but also the audience into Mm -hmm. thinking about who we are and how we got here. And it's, it's not quite a, it's not quite a Greek chorus, but it's sort of a, a a, a very different way uh, to do this. And it was so captivating. And and Christine, I got to say, you know, three minutes into this, I, I forgot you were Christine, uh, my friend. <laughs> and it was it's a stunning performance. Of I think if if when people watch this, if they're flipping through the dial on June 26, and uh, they come across this, they, they may think that they're actually seeing. When was this made? This, is, this looks like a younger, glorious title <laughs> because it's so. It's you're, you pull this off in such a profound way. And the and the audience is drawn into this, and then and then you learn all of this all of this about because well, a, a, a Gloria Steinem doesn't just fall out of the sky, uh, no, you know, right, she, you know, she actually is a real human being from Toledo, Ohio, no. and it's like from that moment on, in the way that you you know kind of take us through her life, it's it, uh, it. I have to think though that that. When they called you to see if you wanted to do this, part of you must have said, oh, no way. I mean, this is like, I'm like, (laughs) this is like, this is, I mean, it could either be something great or this is so fraught with, you know, uh, you're playing a living person um, who's actually involved in this. And, uh, uh, or maybe not, maybe you just said, hell yes, I've been playing you my whole life. I don't know. Just tell, tell me what, how this began for you.
1: Yeah, so it took me less than a tenth of a second to say yes, um, because uh, I mean, yeah, if I had really thought about it, I guess I would have been a little scared. Gloria is not was not only a woman who saved my life uh, amongst other women like like Betty Friedan and and um, Robin Morgan, but in the in the early '70s at University of Michigan, where I didn't know that women actually were equal to men, I thought that we were intrinsically inferior because that's what I learned growing up. So I not only did Gloria save my life, uh, but with feminism, but she was a, one of my best friends. So you would think I would be really, um, you know, wary of playing her, but I wasn't. I was so excited, and then. Once I talked to uh, Emily and Diane Paulus, who directed it, and sensed how unbelievably open and collaborative they were going to be, I knew that it was going to be an extraordinary experience. And it was. This is a room. First of all, the whole production was women. Diane Paulus, Emily Mann, and myself, and then Gloria would come in and out. It was a room devoid of ego. So... There was never, oh, who's, you know, I need to be right or the guy needs to, you got to listen to the guy. It was whatever idea, the best idea wins in the room. That was it. Mm. And that is so refreshing and rare to find. And I'm not saying there aren't women that have e- big egos and are hard to collaborate with. Of course there are. But this was an extraordinary experience of all of us. Um you know, forming this play and forming the the journey of this extraordinary, unlikely activist, as you said, Michael, this is a, a girl from a working class house home in Toledo, who was completely unwoke until she was thirty five years old. She mm. didn't think she didn't think as a journalist that stories about women were important. Mm. So, that was the whole point for for Kathy and Jimmy originally. I think was to say, I want. We need to have this story out there because if Gloria Steinem can do it, anybody can do it.
0: Right. Right. And that and that I I and I i actually thought I remember sitting there in the audience and thinking, wow, if there are just one or two people, just one or two in here who where the light bulb goes off and says, Oh, you know, because I think a lot of times people think, Well, I, I could never do that or I could never do what she yeah. does or whatever. Well, that's what she thought too. And she didn't start thinking, as you said, till she was 35 but you know what I came backstage afterwards and um, uh, I, I hope it's okay to, to, to tell this but it, it um, and, and, and having done this myself because I did a, 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 a one person show there I'm um, probably uh, back in 2017 mm-hmm. you uh, after uh, two hours of, of this um, um, I got to see you like minutes after <laughs> after and it was really, it was very, I don't know how to put this. You were still in, you were so deep in this person you were playing that um, I watched over the, the next 10 minutes or so, you gradually coming coming out of that <laughs> that place, which has got to be like, like one of the most exhilarating experiences, but also, you know, and you know this as an actor having played various roles that are, it, that if if and if it's well written and it's a great role to to uh, you just don't turn it off like a light switch and it's like oh hi mike how's it going you know it's like it's like you it's not that you were so gloria but you were the the energy and the emotion and the depth of this of how you dug into this it was just it was it was an you know i've known you for a long time but i had not seen you in that moment and it was very it was very cool um uh, just to be there in that in in that moment and to see how much obviously uh, this play meant to you and how you were channeling all of this great stuff. You know, it's one of those it's one of those uh, plays, and you can do this at home now because that's where you're going to be able to see it. Where you just want to get out a pen or something or, or get out your iPhone and write that line down because it's just like so profound. And um, and you can't do that when you're in the theater, but uh it, it let me ask you just said something that just caught me uh you said Gloria steinem saved your life
1: yeah
0: um uh, do you mean that she pushed you out of the way of an oncoming bus or uh was <laughs> are you speaking more like because i you're not the first person i've heard say this whether they're talking about gloria or betty Friedan or others uh at that at that time um who when they when they read a book or they saw say her on phil donahue back then the talk show in the afternoon whatever um it w- when you have these encounters with somebody who's proposing that we live our lives in a different way in a way that we've never thought of living them before um it can completely turn things around for you and i think people listening to this know know this experience and they can cite Sometimes it's sometimes it's not a, an appearance on a talk show or a book they've read. Sometimes it's sometimes it's just a great song. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's but it's the, it's the power of art of moving people. So um, so was it a bus that she pushed you um, uh, <laughs> out of the way? <laughs> or tell I mean, tell us what you meant by that, because that's kind of a profound thing to say.
1: Yeah, well, she pushed me out of the way of a bus of patriarchy, a bus of toxic masculinity. That I I had only known. That's all. That's the world I knew. That's the the way my mother. She was she was complicit in her oppression, but she didn't know any other way either. The oppression of 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 uh, the fifties, you know, patriarchy in the suburbs was was profound. And um, you know, it's 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 the wonderful quote uh, by Sarah Grimke, the nineteenth century feminist, who said. I ask no favor for my sex. All I ask of my brethren is that they take their feet off our necks, and that, of course, is resonant today because mm. of wow. you, know, yeah. L. Sharpton, and and what yeah. just happened to George Floyd. But 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 that's what I didn't realize. I had all these feet on my neck, and I didn't even know that that was not normal. It was so normalized. And by second wave of feminism and Gloria being a big, big part of that, that's what I mean by saving my life. Mm. That yeah. feminism really did save my life and allowed me to be a, a full person and to someone who could actually realize her potential. And I wanted to, to just harken back to something you said, Michael, about seeing me after the show and you know that I was kind of this, in this different state. The second act of this play is a talking circle. Mm -hmm. as you mentioned. And Gloria said, if the first act is going to be about me, the second act has to be about the audience. And what was so moving to me, um, well, first of all, Gloria learned feminism from Black feminists. And that, of course, is is not widely known because Black feminists were often ghosted and made made invisible by, especially by the media back then. But, But people like Dorothy Pittman Hughes and Flo Kennedy, um, Alice Walker, so many black feminists taught Gloria, but they, of course, the media wanted to put a pretty white woman on the face of second wave feminism. But and what I'm alluding to is that, that we had all these young black students come to the play. And in the second act, in the talking circle, they would say things like, I didn't know that I could be a part of this movement. I didn't know that feminism included me. This is male and females, right? So these young black men are saying, I can be a feminist. And, and I this play has helped inspire me to, to know that maybe I can go change the world. And that's why I was always so moved after the show, because I was so, so inspired by these young people. And and what we're seeing today in the streets are these young people who are who are ignited and empowered to know that they are going to change the world. So the fact that I was doing a play that inspired that kind of um, empowerment was so um, moving to me and so profound an experience.
0: And to get to do that every night, um, it's, um, it, you know, when I did it, I thought, I was worried that, oh, this is just going to become rote, but it doesn't because, first of all, because every audience is different. So every, every night's a new night. Every night is opening night. And I, I'd heard that cliche before, but it would actually be, I saw how true it was, but that's, but I, I, I felt like I I was back there. It was opening night. It was the first time I'd seen it. So it was the first time. Right. So, but it, it, um, your, the, the, you mentioned that let's just explain this to the audience here when we use about the second act this is also this will this will take you a bit by surprise um because i mean rarely do we have inclusive art in the sense that um the artist is usually this is my art and back off everybody (laughs) (laughs) and you know and actually if you don't have that attitude as a filmmaker or writer or whatever. Uh, you will be crushed by the machine. So you you do develop this, but but Emily, I mean the the, the idea of doing this, uh, where the the second act is not like um, <clears throat> here's another chapter from uh, Gloria's life or whatever, but it is actually the, the second act is I want to say it's actually written by the audience in the sense that that um, that Christine, you then. Uh, you know, break that fourth wall and speak directly to the audience and ask the audience for their experiences, for their um, uh, reaction to their it's, it's now it's just on PBS, this they're going to show that too, right? The, the second act on the, on the great performances um, episode, right? That there will be, there'll be the first act where, where where you are taking us through Gloria's life and, and her thinking and her writings and all that. But Act two will that be on the night that you filmed it? That that will be what we see on great performances. Yes. Explain yes. to people. Explain to people because especially again, um, you know where we're from in the Midwest, a, a talking circle or things like that. We we, we you know um, we do well,
2: it's a revolutionary act, really, Michael. In that um, we often have talkbacks in it in the theater, um, which is a little different from you know what happens with film. After the play
0: is um, over, yes. Like yeah, maybe once a week.
2: Over, people yeah. sit, and they talk, and sometimes it's curated by the dramaturg or the director or an actor or a staff member of the theater. But this is different. This is part of the play, and it is not a talk back, It is a talking circle. And the reason I decided to do that right from the get-go was that Gloria, the, one of the biggest surprises for, for me was how much I learned about grassroots organizing from Gloria and how the women's movement really happened was it was an and intergenerational grassroots movement where people got together in talking circles and consciousness raising groups and people talked about what was going on in their lives. So the prompt that we learned from Gloria, when I said to her, I don't think we should just have, I mean, because the play was not just about Gloria's life, but how her life also mirrored second wave feminism and the movement. And so it was performed in the round and the structure of the play is a series of talking circles. And then the end is the talking circle and and talking directly to the audience. But then as Christine Lottie and, and the actor and not Gloria Steinem, she helped lead a talking circle. And the prompt really was how does Gloria's story or the story you saw tonight of the movement, how does that resonate with your story? So it wasn't a critique of the play. It wasn't people getting up, making speeches. um, It was people um, testifying about how this moved them or how it touched their lives or what they had gone through. And the stories that were shared were absolutely extraordinary and sometimes those shared stories would go into action ideas for um for activist um work and people talk about the organizations that they were part of or they were looking for something to join and someone else would explain where they or um, proffer an idea of what they could do so it was um exhilarating and it and I don't know, there have been um, two other productions, one at my theater here in Princeton at McCarter and another at ART at Harvard. And I know that the woman, uh, Mary McDonnell, who played it here, found that the most exhausting part of the show was not the first act, it was the second act.
0: Um, yes, I I, I think, yeah. <clears throat> again, I don't know which performance that we'll see on on, uh, on PBS, but sitting there during act two was a very moving experience because um, people in the audience did stand and relate their experiences, uh, relay their experiences uh, through their lives, women. And um, it was like, you, you know, you know it because obviously hopefully if you're a man and you have ears in there, uh, you know, not just listening, but they're hearing, uh, that you've heard this, you've heard this hopefully throughout your life from women in your life, but to be in a, to be in a crowd of strangers like that, to have two, 300 people, um, in a room. And, um, I have to tell you, I was just, I, I, um, I was very, I, I I didn't think I, I like, you think you've heard everything and then, and then Boom. Right. Somebody tells this story, and it's like, no, no, oh my god!
1: And Michael, what was so moving to me was uh, when men would stand up and be weeping and say, "I, I yeah." Were you there one of those nights? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And saying, you know, masculinity has felt like a straitjacket to me, and I, I want to call myself a feminist. I want to be a feminist, and how do I do that? And And weeping, saying, I'm so grateful to my wife, who is a feminist, who's taught me about feminist masculinity and how how power can be redefined outside of the patriarchy, which is power that just is defined by lifting others up. It's not about dominating or keeping people down. It's literally the definition of how to lift someone up others up. That's power. And just those kind of conversations were, I think I get what Mary McDonald was talking about, Emily, though, because sometimes people's pain and their stories, and this was during the, the Kavanaugh hearings, Michael, when when right. we started, started our performances, so much pain. And people would talk mm. about, for the first time, um, stories of assault and rape. And, you know, the, the it wasn't a burden. It was it was really I felt blessed to be able to sometimes help moderate or, you know, redirect questions to experts in the audience or to therapists or um, but it was really, really profound every night. And by the end of the week it was, I did feel like I needed to sleep for about two years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It um and you know, the the stories on the the, the night that I uh, was there and saw it the <clears throat> Yes, you know there were there were obviously the horrific stories um, that way too many women um, um, have had to go through and, and have experienced. Um, um, and, and not when I say way too many, I'm, I'm I think it's safe to say a vast majority of women. Yes. Have, have had to go through this. But um, but there were a couple of stories that um, from the audience women told of the sort of everyday the everyday grind of being a woman at work uh mm-hmm. be, being a, a woman um teaching trying to get tenure etc all all the little things that are never going to make the evening news all the times that men in the office saw the boss harassing a particular woman and turned their heads the other way yeah. and didn't say anything um didn't do anything about it um, how many women gave up didn't pursue their career, didn't, didn't, you know, how many got shut down um, in, in, in sometimes in very small, subtle and silent ways. And, and yet for their lives um, they did not get to live the life that they should have been able to live. And that's what I heard from the other comments that night from the audience. And Emily, it's such a brilliant idea to open up to open up uh, to essentially the play is being written every night. You're, you're, you're the, you're the playwright, but you are allowing the audience to help you write the second act of this. And um, it's first of all, such a generous thing to do. Um, uh, You know, not to, uh, not to, not to be too harsh on my, uh, my particular gender, but I don't think it's a very, I don't know many men who would, <laughs> would say, you know what I think I'll do with the second act? I'll bring the people in. Let the people have their say. You no. Know, I mean there are some that would do that, but I'm just saying that that you uh, might do
1: that. Huh? Yes. You yeah. might do that. I might day.
0: yes. Yeah, but I might do it for lazy reasons. Just like, no, no, no. But it's <laughs> but but it just oh my god. But
2: Also, you know, when telling Gloria's story, it's the most honest way to write the play. That is, that's what she has dedicated her life to. And, you know, the organizing through the, what she calls the magic of talking circles. And once you learn it, you never unlearn it. My mother died soon after. um, And I had her memorial be a talking circle. And it was the Beautiful memorial I can imagine and she would have loved it I think because people were not allowed to write speeches or you know right, right. It came and spoke from the heart um did she get a chance did she get a
0: fun. did she get a chance to see this with
2: uh no but Christine? I, I, she, I used to read her all of my plays so <laughs> it's not the same as seeing Christine do it or anything else but I I read her. Gloria. And she cried and she loved it. and mm. um, But she was an early feminist. So really? I was in a way that Christine was not. But even so, I could not have the life I've led without Gloria. And mm-hmm. I say that over and over again, and Gloria and the whole movement. Um,
0: well, what does that mean? I was- Tell us what that means for you, though, when you say that.
2: Well, I was told when I was graduating from college um, and I was sort of, you know, the playwright and director and actor of, you know, of my drama school, um, drama class at at, um, college. And when they
1: were uh, my... my, Harvard, right? Wasn't it Harvard? It was Harvard, yeah. Yes. I thought I'd drop that in there for you. Drop that down. Okay.
2: (laughs) And um, when... I was looking to where to go next. Was I going to go to the West coast and make movies or was I going to go to New York or uh, drama school in the East coast and, and make theater. The um, advisor of the Loeb drama center said to me, Oh my dear, I, you know, you may be quite talented. I should have told you earlier that, you know, you can't make a, uh, profession of writing and directing as a woman, you should think about maybe doing children's theater. Oh God! Oh, and, um, I remember the top of my head exploding and thinking, <laughs> "Oh God! Oh my God! I, you know,
1: just
2: freaking watch me! I'm mm. going to do it. this. Is what I'm. I love this. I know I can do this. I'm going to do this and." I made the, the happy choice not to go to Yale where my dear friend and colleague Lynn Meadow had gone and had left early because of the misogyny there trying to um, make a, a, a time at the Yale School of Drama as a director. She went to New York and realized she would never work unless she founded her own company. So she founded the Manhattan Theater Club. So I didn't go to Yale. I went to the University of Minnesota where I could also apprentice at the Guthrie Theater, which was at that point for a Midwest. You know, it was was the great theater of the Midwest. And I got there as the first woman fellow directing fellow of the McKnight Bush Fellowship. And I arrived there and I was told, oh, no, no, you shouldn't have gotten this award. Um, You should uh, audition and be an actress and I said no I got this and I'm going to I got this directing fellowship and I want to be a director I still had to audition I still even though the the artistic director Guthrie said Michael Langham said oh well you could be an actress I said thank you but I don't want to be I want to be a director he relented and then um I became the first woman ever to direct on the Guthrie main stage so wow. Yeah, you know, I mean,
0: as you're telling you know, that story, though, you think about how many women—you y- weren't the only one—told by these men. That's right. That you can't do this, you shouldn't do this, you'll never work, you'll never make any money, right. et, cetera, et cetera. How many? If you're, you know, not everybody is Emily Mann. So how many um, w- were told this over the years? Oh, and so then so yes, and so then gave up. So and then, many. Gave up and so, and sure. what did we miss out on? What That's great right. what great art did we not get because of this attitude? And by the way, I always love hearing stories where, where Harvard is the uh, is the villain. Um, so <laughs> it was,
2: it <laughs> was no sure. but, seriously oh, I you know, stories about Harvard. Yeah,
0: yes, you know. So now, in addition to what, uh, what I already felt about the fact that they gave us Henry Kissinger. Uh, that they let George W. Bush into their business school, and now this story so you just yeah. you just you added to my you know my list of uh, uh, someday I want to do a kind of a funny documentary about uh, Harvard or maybe Ivy League in general you you're you know because you because you've seen it all.
2: I never had a woman professor or even section leader the four years I was there.
1: That's astonishing. but you know, Michael, all the women that gave up you know. Thousands and thousands and thousands and
0: thousands. Thousands,
1: thousands. Yes. But what happened to me was similar to Emily. And Emily, don't you think that whenever a man told you, you can't do this, it it gave you more strength? I mean, that's what I felt. I had so many men, especially men that I rejected sexually, who told me that I would never make it, that I didn't have the stuff. That I should go out to LA and do sitcoms and I would never make it as a theater or film actress. Or I was, I didn't, one, one guy who I rejected sexually said that I didn't have any light to shed upon the human existence. And this was in college <laughs> and that I should, <laughs> I should give up. And, oh, he, and, he was, and he was my mentor and oh. I respected him so right. much and he crushed me, but <sighs> for one night and the next day it went, I, I said, every fiber in my being said, watch me. Watch me, motherfucker. I will well, show we you. You were so angry,
2: Christine. <laughs> What's that? What? Well, it's very funny. I, I say I was such an angry young woman, and then my husband now says, was such an angry <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, I think the fuel and the energy, often it came from a, a base of anger, and it took me a long time to find the love, you know, and, um, and anger can take you just so far, and then it 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 gets in the way of the work,
1: and you like, yes, yeah. it can. Yeah.
2: So, but yes, we were. I think many of us, and certainly in the in the early seventies, were fueled by that anger.
0: And did, and this ha- Did this happen also at, at the University of Michigan with you, uh, Christine? I mean, it's it, because uh, um, first of all, I, if I remember you telling me this correctly, I've always wondered. After you you left University of Michigan, you went to Florida State. Is that yes? You have that right. So okay. So you have to be like really pissed off to want to go down to go to Florida State. Now, no offense to Florida State, because Florida State people don't know people don't know this. Florida State gave us Barry Jenkins, uh, won the Oscar for Best Picture for Moonlight, uh, and uh, many many fine people have gone to uh, have gone to. Have gone to Florida State, including the executive producer of this podcast, Basil, who's listening. Okay, uh,
1: okay. And then went to right.
0: Florida State, so so I've learned to actually respect Florida State. Uh, okay. o- over the years. But what tell just just briefly <laughs> tell us your journey from okay. Okay, so you're not at an Ivy League school, you're at a, a state school in Michigan, and then you decide yeah. to go to another state school in of all places, Florida.
1: Yeah. So first of all, I had no option about Ivy League or out of state. I had to go to an in-state uh, program, a, a university. Back then, University of Michigan cost like $200 a semester. It was-
0: Oh, know, don't tell today. the young people this. Don't tell they. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody turn <laughs> the volume down. Don't li- yeah, don't turn- do not listen to the next part of this.
1: <laughs> you, can, you can edit that out, Michael, later. Um, but I was a hippie, right? And hippies were not supposed to be ambitious. And I was- um, a. A new feminist and a hippie. And I thought, well, the Oslo rep company, you know, similar to Emily's decision to go to um, the Guthrie, uh, Florida State had a program, a master's program with the Oslo. So the first year would be at Florida State. The second year would be Mm -hmm. being a part of the rep company in Oslo. So once I got to Florida State, I realized, oh my God, I, you know, screw this hippie stuff. I got to go to New York and see if I can make it. Um, you know, in theater and in film. And um, the training wasn't as what I wanted. And I was becoming a really, really respected mime, but that wasn't really my career path. So (laughs) I decided to move to New York. I I quit the the program after one year.
0: Oh, okay. But um, when you say a respected mime, I'm, I'm there are no respected mimes, so <laughs> so you you got to, but you did, but you got to New York. What's the path there? Because I'm guessing again, uh, there were these roadblocks, and and you had to somehow uh, overcome them. And because you, uh, unlike, uh, um, because you, I actually saw you perform uh, a, a one woman uh, uh, play that you did of on your life years ago. And, um, you did not, you were not raised by a feminist like Emily. uh, was. So, so what were the, what were, what were those obstacles then that you, once you, okay, I'm going to New York, I'm going to be an actor and here we go. And then, and then one, I would assume, well, as I remember you telling the story, uh, not just one wall after another, but just, but more of the same sort of, um, Abuse, essentially, is what I would call
1: it. Yeah, I had one uh, casting couch experience that was transformative um, for my life. I, I had started off saying, I'm never gonna do commercials. I'm only gonna play complex uh, you know, strong women. And of course, those roles didn't exist. so and I needed to um, stop waitressing because it was driving me crazy. Um, so i I went up for this audition for a commercial, a couple of commercials, and the casting director, um basically said you have these commercials but the only um catch is you have to sleep with these two directors
0: and um oh, right just, came, I mean, he just came right out and said that
1: yeah yeah as if it was like saying you know do you want to do you want a cup of coffee and i was so mortified and so shocked and naive and uh he said went on to say michael that um Everybody does this. It's completely normal. This is how all he listed five actresses who made it this way. The only way they made it to the top was screwing their way to the top. Actresses I really respected. Um, And he said, this is just a reality for someone like you in this business. You're not that, you know, you're not that beautiful. You're not, you don't know anyone in, in show business. You're from Michigan. Uh, you gotta, this is the way you're going to make it. And I walked out of there sobbing and walked home like 75 blocks to my apartment, my studio in the village. And, um, that was my walk where my feminism went from my head and landed deep into my bones. And I, that was the, the walk. I said, I, I will never let the misogyny of my industry define my, define my choices that I make. And, uh, of course, I, you know, throughout the years, I've, I've fallen off the feminist wagon a million times, um, sometimes just to pay the rent. But that was a real transformative moment for me. And in some ways, I'm grateful to him. Uh, I wish I had reported him. I wish it, I had felt I had a voice that would have been heard and believed and gotten them kicked out of the whatever union, casting director's union. But um, so because I know he went on to exploit other actresses, maybe more vulnerable or more needy, uh, you know, whatever, for whatever reason than I was. Uh, hmm. But yeah, I'm grateful to him.
0: What do you hope um, will happen? Um, let me ask you this. What do you, th- what do you hope will happen when this airs? Uh, this is, this is going to be on uh, now in a, in a couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. um, uh, lots of people are going to be able to see it. Lots of women are going to see, lots of young girls are going to see it. And, and you would encourage Parents to let uh, let their younger um, oh absolutely. to watch this yes of course yes, yes of course yes. so um, I mean what's your hope with this because this is your this is now we're not off Broadway now you're on broadcast uh, television um, free TV not uh, not even it's not pay TV this is like yeah. PBS is in every single home uh, in in this country that if you've got a TV you, you can pick up PBS so what um, I mean, what Emily? I ask this to both of you. I mean, what do you hope uh, will will come of this? Because um, I mean, this is a great honor that that this. I mean, this is this beloved show, great performances, uh, where where oftentimes things that do happen, not always in New York, but when it does, uh, the rest of the country and the rest of the world doesn't get to see it, and now they're going to see this.
2: Yeah, it is a great honor. Um, and I think because so many people are at home now and they are watching, I'm hoping that um, men as well as women are going to tune in and young people, um, boys as well as girls. And I, I'm really hoping that's going to be deep discussion within the families, within couples. Um, and then when e- e young people um, will share things um Oh, via social media and everything else. I'm really hoping that uh, people will watch as families um, and the families will have discussions um, and the couples will have discussions, the partners will have discussions and the younger folks will um, join in the conversation with each other and um, on social media and elsewhere because we are in fact uh, part of the larger struggle and um, the women's movement is, as Gloria often says, you cannot find racial justice without the justice for women. They are absolutely intertwined. And I hope also that um, the uh, Black feminists who have been left out of history so often, um, we give a huge tribute, as you may remember, um, to those women um, who... Were incredible um, contributors, and in fact, started um, uh, the women's movement in this country. And I'm right. hoping that we can help set the record straight, and that the struggle for um, racial uh, justice, um, which we're all seeing, um,
1: this will help in that in that
0: well,
2: movement. So, how
0: about you, Christine? What's your what's your hope with us that yeah this airs?
1: Yeah, I'm, I, I agree with Emily. I mean, I, all the, all the discussions, hopefully, we're all having in our homes about our own unconscious racial bias. It's so critical to, to really, um, get change in this country because it starts on a personal level. And just like the Me Too movement started people, men in particular, thinking, wow, I didn't even know I was sexist or I didn't even know I was uh, inappropriately, you know, dismissing or interrupting women at a meeting, or touching them, and you know all the ways in which men have had to really look at their own internal unconscious even sexism, and like we're doing with racial bias. I think it's it's really um, they're so interse- intersected, as Emily said, they're so intertwined. Sexism and racism you can't separate them. I also think it really helps, um, as I said. Black men and women realize that they are part of this movement of feminism and that they always were. <laughs> and um, the idea that all of our voices matter, that all of our stories are important and worthy of respect. Um, and the importance of sharing our stories with each other. Like Gloria says, that maybe, maybe this will this show, this play will inspire people to have their own talking circles in their lives, whether it's a woman's group that meets once a month or a a men's group that meets once a week, to share their own personal stories as honestly and openly as possible. And I think it helps people realize that they're not alone. And that kind of collective support is, is just incredibly important and uncomfortable. You know, all these discussions we're having about our own unconscious racial bias is so uncomfortable, but that's essential. It's essential for us to be uncomfortable for a while until we can get past these, this internalized sexism, internalized racism that you can't help but have if you grow up in this country.
0: How's Gloria? How is she doing? She's, <laughs> she's. I was at her her 80th birthday. That was a few years ago, I think. So now, how is she? Is she is she doing well? Is she? What's her plans? What's she's got to be doing something because she's always busy. So what? I'm just curious uh, for people who are wondering and And who admire her and love her and and uh, and owe their lives in some ways to her. Um, yeah. how is she doing?
1: She's doing great. She was uh, quarantining in New York, and now she is at a friend's in Santa Barbara in the mountains. and she's writing a book. Um, she's writing a book about the uh, lost feminists, the feminists who um, were never really written about or historically mostly Black. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, I'm going to see her next week in Santa Barbara. We're going to do some more publicity for for Gloria Alive. Oh, great. Will you give her my love, Christine? Of, of course I will, yeah. Oh, she's, but she's, she's amazing. She's 86. And she's just completely got all her marbles. She's so... I mean, when I go out with her, which is a lot, we go see plays in New York and musicals that, you know, nobody else will go see because we just are suckers for everything on stage. And people come up to her. It's like, I'm going out with Bruce Springsteen. You know, people, uh, I'm like her, I'm her bouncer, her bodyguard, but people are weeping, men and women weeping. You saved my life. Thank you for saving my mom's life. Thank you for saving my dad's whatever. And she's the most generous human being I have ever met. Cause she'll always say, no, thank you for saving fine. Mm-hmm. And what's your story. What tell me your story? And she, she's just, yeah, she's, she's really a remarkable person.
0: Yeah. She, um, uh, my, my, uh, my show, my, the, my one, my one man show, yeah. uh, she, uh, on my opening night, I, what I, every night I would have a, a surprise, uh, guest star uh, mm-hmm. show up on the, on the stage. And, um, and I asked her, I wanted her to be the first, the first one on opening night and she agreed to do it. And, uh, she came on. I didn't
1: out. know that. Yeah, oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It was very, very cool. And, yeah. um, and so a great conversation and uh, the audience was just so thrilled that they got the bonus of, of having Gloria Steinem on a Broadway stage um, uh, telling her stories. And it was it was wonderful. So if, uh, if she's listening to this, Gloria, thank you. Thank you for what you've done to all for all of us and to um, and and for all the lives you have saved because the world is a slightly different and better place uh, because of you. And those who fought and struggled and, and, and thousands of times over, were told you can't do this. You shouldn't do this. Shut up, sit down, uh, become invisible. Um, talk about this, this concept, this new concept of ghosting. It, it breaks your heart if you stop for too long to think about literally how many millions of women were ghosted throughout the years. And, and, and this generation, what I'm so happy about—the younger people—they're—they are. This is a piece of the old world that they are rejecting uh, outright, and—and um, and I am hopeful about them and about uh, how this is—how this is all going to end up. And I'm grateful to you, Emily, for what you've done all these years. I'm grateful to you, Christine, for everything that I've seen you do over the years, um, and it—it. It, uh, you know, you each of you, I am certain, have saved a few lives. So thank you for that. And uh, I and want you, and, thank you,
1: you, thank you, and you, Michael, and you, and you. Well,
0: the jury's still out on me, but thank <laughs> thanks for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, I I am slightly younger. Uh, yeah, thank for you for sure. saying <laughs> that. <laughs> it emphasis on the word slightly. Um, but uh, but th- and everybody listening to this, do not miss this performance. On PBS, June 26. I'll remind you in a, in a couple of weeks, June 26, on PBS. Great performances is, is the uh, weekly show and uh, it will, it is, will be the whole performance of Gloria, a life written by Emily Mann and starring Christine Lottie. Um, you do not want to miss this. And yes, have your young boys watch this too, please. Uh, uh, it, this is, this, this is a, is a, an American hero. That they are bringing uh, to a wide audience here in June, and I'm so grateful for that. Thank you both of you. Thank you for being on Rumble. And thank you, uh, Michael. And uh, we will cross paths again uh, uh, shortly. Um, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, This is Rumble with Michael Moore. I'm Michael Moore. Uh, Thank you to Basil Hamden for executive producing this and all these other uh, episodes uh, that we've uh, been doing. Uh, on Rumble here since December 17th. Um, I'm grateful to all of you for listening and uh, for supporting the show. We'll talk to you very soon. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Michael.